There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a podcast from the local all about the news and talking points from across Germany. Today we are getting into Berlin's repeat election and are you travelling on German roads or even at the airport? You might come into contact with climate demonstrations. We'll talk about the activists stepping up their protests across the country. Germany is in the process of adapting its immigration and citizenship laws, which it hopes will attract more skilled workers from abroad. But what's the impact of foreign workers in so-called STEM positions been in the last years? The far-right Alternative for Germany party was founded 10 years ago this week. We talk about what impact the party has had on politics and society. And the Super Bowl is coming up in the States this weekend. But the NFL also has its eyes on growing its American football fan base in Germany. I spoke to an expert to find out how that's working out. To round things off, we share a few German words or phrases associated with Valentine's Day. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'm in Berlin today with journalist Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. And later I'll talk to political scientist Florian Hartlieb and professor of sports management Sebastian Urich. Hello and welcome, Aaron and Imogen. How are you both doing? Hi, yeah, great, thanks. Um, really enjoying the snow in Berlin at the moment. Lovely sunny weather, so yeah. This uh, sunny weather with snow reminds me of home, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Very cold. We're going to start off today by giving an update on how Germany is assisting the rescue efforts in Turkey and Syria following the devastating earthquake that happened on Monday. Germany is home to millions of people with Turkish heritage, so a really large community here and also many Syrians. Aaron, what support has Germany pledged so far and how are people here helping? Well, Rachel, so far we've heard that the German government has sent uh, 20 tons of supplies, uh, food, medical supplies, emergency aid, uh, as well as crews to help with rescues. More is on the way, and Interior Minister Nancy Faser said the government will mobilize all the help it can. Germany, of course, is home to a huge Turkish diaspora at between four and seven million people, depending mm -hmm. on what estimate you look at. That is the largest of any country outside Turkey in the world, uh, actually. And also, as you said, we have a huge community of Syrians here. In 2021, more Syrians took up residence in Germany than from any other country. So as you would expect, this is a tragedy that it hits very close to home here in Germany as well. There's a lot of volunteers here packing up supplies with everything from clothing to blankets to baby formula. Hundreds of volunteer rescue workers and firefighters from Germany are also in Turkey right now now as we speak. Yep, absolutely. And we'll link to a story with details of some organizations helping the rescue effort where you can donate to. The city-state of Berlin voted for a new government and district councils back in September 2021, at the same time as the federal election vote took place. But the local Berlin elections are being rerun this weekend. 
On Sunday, February 12th, people in Berlin will go to the polls once again to cast a vote. And I'm sure many politicians, not least the Berlin mayor, Franziska Giffey of the Social Democrats, are pretty worried about this. Imogen, what on earth happened here? Well, uh, the day of the federal election in 2021 was always going to be a slightly chaotic one. That's because the city had not one, not two, but four elections all happening on the same day. Uh, So alongside the Bundestagswahl or the federal elections, uh, you also had the state and district elections. um, And then you had a referendum alongside that, which was all to do with whether to nationalise the properties of big landlords in the city. Mm -hmm. So as if that wasn't enough of a logistical challenge, uh, the city actually also decided to hold a marathon on the same day, which naturally led to all sorts of problems with accessing polling stations, resupplying things like ballot papers. So we ended up actually having a situation where polling stations were having to close in the middle of the day because they didn't have the ballots they needed. In other cases, there were queues around the block with people waiting for hours. We also heard that there were instances of ballots being badly photocopied or arriving with the wrong candidates on them. And we've also heard of people being told that they'd only be let in if they only voted in the federal elections and and not in the other two or three. So after the election, Berlin's constitutional court received a good 35 complaints about the election. And in November, they actually decided that this original vote had been so chaotic that it had very, very likely affected the outcome of these elections. So that means it needs to be held again. So Berliners are going back to the polls on Sunday for a rerun of the state and the district elections. Yeah, I remember because me and you, Imogen, we were covering that election or many elections on that day and it was absolute chaos in Berlin. It really was. Yeah, queues around the block, people not getting in. There was a famous journalist actually who said that he just turned up in his car and then drove away because he... He just couldn't uh, vote. Yeah, he couldn't vote. It was going to take too long. So clearly this has had an impact on the outcome. So Aaron, we currently have a coalition in Berlin led by the SPD with Giffey as mayor and the Greens and the left also in that coalition. What kind of results can we expect from the new vote? Will it stay the same? Well, one thing that's changed between September 2021 and now is that the conservative Christian Democrats are actually in first place in the polls in Berlin. That is big. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's not something that we're, we're used to seeing in, mm-hmm. in this city in particular. In one poll out this week, they're up eight percentage points from their 2021 finish on 26 percent of the vote at the moment. All three of the current governing parties in Berlin, though, the SPD, the Greens and the left, they've lost. Um, their footing in the polls, but crucially, they still have the necessary combined vote share to stay in power. Why do you think that is? Well, probably uh, there's certainly a sense of that the city is uh, becoming increasingly chaotic. I mean, the very fact that we are having this vote again <laughs> yeah. is 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 a testament to that. But also the, the housing situation is probably the worst, certainly that I've ever seen it um, in the 10 years that I've lived here. And uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of progress on house building, uh, which was a big centerpiece of the of the SPD's platform, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still hard to get an appointment to the Bogamt. Still have to wait two months to do anything, <laughs> even to register your your new uh, apartment, for example. So uh, the chaos has continued. That 
is probably a reason why we're seeing some people look for alternatives. So as you said, the CDU is in first place in the polls in Berlin at the moment, but the left center or or left of center parties still have more than half the share of votes. So what does that mean for the mayor's office? Well, as I see it, there's three outcomes that are most likely. First, things stay the same. Despite all this chaos, nothing changes. That is a very possible scenario. Uh, The SPD holds under the mayor's office just like it has for the last 22 years, and it leads the left-wing coalition just like it does now. But then we get to our second scenario. The SPD and the Greens are neck and neck in the polls. They're at around 18% apiece. So some polls put the SPD ahead, others the Greens. This is a nail-biter. If the Greens come ahead of the SPD, we could see them take the mayor's office for the first time instead and lead the coalition. The Greens and the CDU have made it clear that they're not that keen to work together in Berlin. The Greens are very left in Berlin, certainly more left than the than the federal government. You know, the dislike is mutual. But Kai Wegner of the CDU could try for a Germany coalition. It would have more than 50% of the votes uh, if polls are to believe. That would mm-hmm. be SPD, red, CDU, black, and the liberal free Democrats in yellow. That depends, though, a lot more on the just if the CDU wins. Uh, They'd need the SPD to agree and the FDP to make the 5% threshold. Neither of those things are in any way certain to happen uh, at the moment. The FDP, to use one example, is polling at exactly 5% right now. And what happens with the federal election vote in Berlin that took place? Does that have to be repeated anywhere? Well, that's actually still being decided. Uh, What's quite interesting about this is, despite the fact that the state, district and federal federal elections were all held on the same day and you might assume were affected by the exact same problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, The oversight process is very different when it comes to the different types of election. So for the federal elections, uh, the Bundestag, so central parliament, generally takes a decision on whether an election should be rerun or changed in any way. Um, And then this is scrutinized by the federal constitutional court, which is basically Germany's supreme court. Last November, parliament decided that the election should be repeated, but only in 431 polling stations in Berlin. That is quite a lot. It is quite a lot. So clearly they're assuming these are the ones that have had the worst problems. Um, So they're trying to do a sort of targeted rerun of the vote. But that isn't necessarily set in stone. Uh, We still need the Constitutional Court to assess the decision. And they're basically going to weigh up whether the vote was badly affected in these areas, where it was most badly affected, and whether a rerun in this sense would actually correct the mistakes that were made uh, last time. And how... How might all of this impact the federal government coalition of the SPD, the Greens and the Liberal FDP? So not much on the face of things. Um, It is possible that a rerun of the federal elections could see a couple of parliamentarians lose their seats um, in Berlin constituencies, but that wouldn't necessarily be enough to change the fact that the traffic light coalition, so as you say, the SPD, Greens, FDP, have a majority in the Bundestag right now. Obviously, it would be quite a blow to Scholz if the SPD and Francisca Giffey take a hammering at the state elections, be quite symbolically a a large loss uh, for the party. But 
on the other hand, there's little chance of anything kind of significant changing as far as the makeup of the central government. It would be symbolic more than anything else, as Imogen said. But I mean, keep in mind that if the SPD does lose the mayor's office, they've held that for 22 years. Uh, Berlin is considered to be a stronghold of theirs. That will provoke some discussion big time yeah. if that happens. That would send shockwaves for sure. It would. It would be quite a symbolic loss for sure. Mm-hmm. So all eyes will be on Berlin on Sunday. And and so much time has passed since 2021. As you've mentioned, Aaron, the polls are looking different. This is such a mess, isn't it? And not to mention the costs involved in campaigning and staging an election again. I mean, who should we be annoyed at here? Who is responsible? Yeah, this is a, <laughs> such a typical Berlin question, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so Berlin's top official responsible for organizing elections has since resigned. And the interior minister at the time has since been reshuffled into a different post. Uh, the last estimate I saw uh, was that this repeat election is going to cost Berlin 39 million euros, of course, at a time of rising inflation, at a time when we're all being asked to cut back a little bit or figure out ways to save money. That's that's quite a number. There's also the question of the trust in democracy. Elections should be a cornerstone of democracy in our processes. And even though nobody's saying that this was kind of premeditated or an attempt to sort of interfere with the elections, simply the fact that this didn't run smoothly, it has to be rerun. I mean, there's, there are huge questions there about what that does to people's trust in the institutions and foundations of a democratic state. Absolutely. Thank you both for those updates. And let's take a moment to thank our wonderful listeners. Thank you for tuning in and for all your feedback. We really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. Or you can, of course, email us at news at the local.de with all feedback. And if you'd like to support our journalism, you can head to thelocal.de slash podcast offer and become a member. If you're out and about in cities in Germany, and especially if you're in a car, there's a chance you could be interrupted by climate activists who have stuck themselves in the middle of the road. And the Letzte Generation, or Last Generation group, have said they're going to step up their protests this year, so do more of them, and across the country. Imogen, we're seeing a lot about these protests in the German media. How are they having an impact on everyday life? Well, as you say, people who drive may well have encountered one of their protests in the past weeks, months, or on Tuesday when their activists organised a major action day across the country. So their primary and most well-known tactic is gluing themselves to the Autobahn and other roads in cities across Germany, uh, which has actually earned them the nickname of Klimakleber, or climate stickers, in the German media. Such a um, great word, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant word. And I wonder how they're sticking themselves <laughs> that is the question. Yeah, no, I've seen kind of photos of hands kind of bathed in glue on the on the road, but I don't know if they sell special road glue in mm-hmm. the um, in the oh. shops. I haven't been looking for it personally. <laughs> 
Um, but this has obviously, you know, been, been a big disruption for drivers, for commuters, um, and it's disrupted traffic. There have also been instances where rescue vehicles like ambulances have been delayed. Um, that's all added to the controversy around this tactic. But this definitely isn't the only tactic they've been using. More recently, they managed to ground flights at major airports like Frankfurt and Berlin. And they also made it into the news quite recently when they threw mashed potato at a Monet painting in Potsdam, so just outside of Berlin. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That went all over the world. That was quite, yeah, yeah, it was was kind of a copycat protest. Um, I think they were copying one that happened in, in London with a Van Gogh painting. And then just before Christmas, one of their tactics was to saw off the top of the Brandenburg Gate Christmas tree. So that was another one of their kind of disruptive methods that they've um, that they've used. And what do we know about the people who are protesting? Well, there is a fair amount of crossover between the different climate activism groups. So people involved with Fridays for Future, Greta Thunberg's group and Extinction Rebellion um, are also involved with and closely linked to uh, Last Generation. But what we know about this group is that it was basically born out of a hunger strike that um, a small group of activists, mostly young, sort of young men and women in their 20s, carried out ahead of the federal elections in 2021. So one of these people was Henning Jeske. He was one of these hunger strike participants, and he's widely considered to be one of the main initiators of kind of founding this group. He, like a lot of other people involved in the movement, is kind of a, a university dropout. He was uh, studying political science, um, but decided to turn to activism full-time. One of the most controversial things he's done is gluing himself to an aeroplane um, in Lübeck in 2021. He actually had to go to court over this, but he never got charged because the case was dropped um, at the request of the prosecution. Mm-hmm. So we kind of assume that, that most of this group are kind of young people, students, um, although there are older people involved as well and people who have, you know, other careers and other jobs. But the main thing that unites this group alongside their climate goals is that they believe in civil disobedience um, as a way to affect change. So ultimately, the idea is that these disruptive tactics, while annoying for, you know, commuters and other people who are out and about just trying to get, you know, catch a flight, for instance, that these are justified by the scale of the disaster um, that awaits us if the government doesn't take enough action. And what changes do they actually want to see, Aaron? Well, their main goal is to have Germany climate neutral by 2030. That's uh, certainly years ahead of schedule of what the government actually plans in terms of climate neutrality or carbon neutrality. But there are two sort of main demands, recently at least, in recent protests that have kind of come under that, that are very, very specific. So one is that the nine euro nationwide public transport ticket that we saw last summer um, which was brought in as a temporary measure, is made permanent. Of course, we've just seen the 49 euro ticket, and that'll be introduced May 1st, although last generation is, is looking for the, the lower price there uh, to be made permanent. And the other is a tempo limit or a speed limit uh, on the entire German Autobahn. We, of course, have many, many stretches of uh, German highway that do not uh, have speed limits uh, here in Germany. 
And and the German government isn't moving fast enough on climate targets for the group. No, but that's a common accusation leveled at most governments, and Germany's in particular, particularly this year when um, they've had to wean themselves off of Russian energy, for example, and um, transitionally import more LNG from places like the US or Qatar. Various politicians, particularly from Germany's more conservative parties, uh, say these protesters are pushing for political changes outside uh, acceptable democratic process. Uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz himself has even said, everyone's shaking their head and so am I. But there are politicians that go a little further than that. They're basically saying that, yes, peaceful protest is a part of democratic process, but last generation's tactics are dangerous. Blocking Berlin's airport runway is one example that they use here, where they said that these protesters put public safety at risk and endangered life. Thank you so much to both of you for those updates. The number of people without German passports working in STEM fields, that is science, technology, engineering and maths in Germany, has gone up by nearly 172% over 10 years, according to a new study from the German Business Institute in Cologne. Their report highlighted how foreigners are contributing to further development in these fields. Imogen, where are people typically coming from in these sectors from abroad? Well, people from India are definitely a significant group here. Um, And there's been a really steep increase in the number of Indian passport holders working in these fields um, in recent years. So currently we have around 25,000 people from India who are working in the STEM industries in Germany. And that's compared to just 3,700 a decade ago. So that probably has quite a lot to do with the EU blue card scheme and also the German government's own targeted attempts to encourage skilled Indians to move to the country. Otherwise, um, people from Russia actually made it into the top five kind of origin countries for STEM workers in Germany last year for the first time. And there's also a significant number of workers coming from places like Turkey, China and Italy as well. And what kind of impact has this had, Aaron? Well, it's certainly led to a lot more networks, for example, between India and Germany for research uh, purposes, for example, more patent applications, uh, certainly. But we've also seen Imogen just talked about, for example, the growth that we've seen in in, um, STEM workers from India. But we've also seen a much higher growth in terms of people from India in general who are coming to Germany. In 2021, Indians were the fourth most common nationality taking up residence in Germany. That has, you know, quite a bit to do with uh, IT workers coming here who also bring their families, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And their their friends or networks, as you build a community, more people are are interested in coming. We certainly have, you know, a much more fledgling community um, um, from India here in Germany now. But that's also led to accusations uh, on the part that we've seen racism on the part of public authorities. And in general, Germany is grappling more and more in real time with being a land of immigration. Absolutely. And and despite this development, there's still a shortage of IT workers in Germany, isn't there? Yep. And it's still a big one. Germany has a skills shortage in many industries, IT being one of the most notable. It's in such demand that there is actually a separate IT worker visa for Germany that you can apply to if you don't meet the requirements for a job seekers visa or an EU blue card, for example. That particular visa is designed to take into account IT workers who may have have a lot of on-the-job experience, but not necessarily certain professional 
qualifications. Uh, we're going to see more too. The opportunity card or the chansenkata will make it easier for non-EU nationals with uh, university qualifications to come to Germany, even if they don't have a firm job offer. Plus, of course, uh, our favorite story, our favorite topic here at the local Germany lately, uh, we are seeing the overhaul of dual citizenship laws, partly designed to encourage people to settle in Germany long term by not making them have to give up their original nationality, that important link to home. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The far-right party Alternative for Germany, or AfD, was founded 10 years ago this week and it has had an enormous impact on German politics and society. We're going to hear from a political scientist soon, but first let's look at a few facts about the, the AfD or the AfD. Aaron, how many members are in this party? Well, the AfD has about 35,000 card-carrying members and an annual revenue of 25 million euros. That's less than 10% of the membership that the CDU has, uh, 384,000 members, or the SPD's 393,000. Even the smaller parties, such as the FTP at 77,000 or the Greens at over 100,000, have a much higher membership than um, the AfD. But the AfD still has a much higher performance in elections than those membership numbers might suggest. Interesting. So they're really punching above their weight in a way. Yeah, we even in Berlin's uh, election coming up here, the AfD is polling at about uh, 10%. What do we know about the people who typically support the, the AfD? Well, based on the research we have, the AfD gets a lot of its support from workers and, crucially, also the unemployed. The party gets a lot of attention, of course, for its anti-immigration uh, messages, its pro-Russia messages. And those constituencies certainly exist, but a fair few of its voters come from a place of economic discontent, feeling left behind. This is part of the reason why um, they're stronger in eastern Germany, which still has its fair share of economic issues years after reunification. Imogen, over the years, there have been a number of controversies surrounding the party, radical statements about, for example, migrants, refugees, and even the, the Holocaust. Are they seen as harmful or dangerous, this party? Yeah, that's right. Um, and it would honestly take quite a while to cover all the controversial statements after politicians have made over the years. But certainly their anti-migrant rhetoric has at times spilled over into what sounds like direct calls for violence. 
violence. Uh, so, for instance, describing refugees crossing the borders as attackers um, and saying that border guards should use firearms, so shoot at them um, if they do cross uh, without permission. Aside from that, I think what worries many about the RFD are the more authoritarian and anti-democratic tendencies of kind of sections of the parties. Some ideas about how maybe Germany's democratic institutions as they stand aren't legitimate um, and shouldn't be respected. There is also a radical wing of the party known as Der Flügel, which the courts have classified as right-wing extremist. Um, And that basically means that authorities in Germany have the right to keep its members under surveillance. Mm -hmm. Um, The question I think that's, that's maybe currently being asked is whether it really is just one extremist wing or whether these ideas have kind of pervaded the majority of the party. And that also begs the question, well, are there grounds maybe for keeping wider swathes of this movement kind of under surveillance mm-hmm. uh, to check if there are kind of anti-democratic ideas or perhaps, you know, violent or extremist ideas taking root. And what have the parties said about their their 10th birthday? Well, the general message was, you know, that we are still this political force to be reckoned with um, and we'd actually like to get even more of a foothold in German politics over the coming years. So one thing that was mentioned, which they're placing quite a lot of hope in, are regional elections in eastern states, uh, three eastern states next year. Um, so they're really hoping to do well in those. Then there were the usual lines on the uh, left-wing hegemony of thought. They're saying that they want to carry on kind of battling what they see as the, the kind of status quo and that they want to continue to be uh, a thorn in the side of the establishment. So they really want to get into government rather than being in opposition. Absolutely. They don't want to be a fringe force at all. They want to be part of the political mainstream and some might argue they're succeeding in that. Let's hear now from Florian Hartzleib. He is a political scientist and expert on populism. I started off by asking Florian why the IFD was founded as a party and how it has changed over the last 10 years. The party has changed completely because originally there was one agenda, Euroscepticism. But all the leaders of the party, such as Bernd Lucke, have stepped out of the party. And the AfD is now what we're describing within Europe, basically a radical right-wing populist or even now extremist party. So the change is basically quite dramatically from one decade or within one decade. The party now has nothing to do with the party one decade ago. And there is a permanent struggle within the party. And there's one person behind the new radical AfD from today. It's Björn Höcke from Thuringia. And we have to say from the perspective of the liberal democracy and also from the protection of the, our constitution, we're calling that in Germany Verfassungsschutz, nothing basically had worked out. The AfD is here to stay. And referring to some countries in Eastern Germany, the AfD is powerful. The AfD got stronger also in the light of the pandemic. And for example, at the moment, the AfD is the strongest force, according to the polls in Thuringia, the country where Björn Höcke is from. Why do you think they're they're so strong in this part of the country? Yeah, we see in Germany three decades after the unification a west-east divide. And we see that basically the AfD is very strong 
as we said in the in the 90s with the post-communist party in the local areas so they basically got the support with local personalities at the beginning the ifd was more like a phantom so you didn't know the leaders also you didn't know the persons who were running they were not uh, in the clubs there were no public figures but now this picture has changed. So first of all, it's radicalization. But secondly, it's also kind of a grassroots idea, which is working out, um, especially in Saxony, Thuringia, Saxony, Anhalt. And how has this kind of changed politics in Germany? AfD is excluded. The German politics um, itself got more and more leftist. The AfD is regarded as an outsider. But it also means basically that, that this affection is bigger because some parts in the German society are not represented. And this made the AfD even stronger. Yeah. And of course, I was thinking of the refugee crisis in 2015. It just really, they gathered so much support then, didn't they? It's very simple. In the summer 2015, the AfD was in the polls with 3%. After everything started, then in the winter, autumn, winter 2015, then 2016, the AfD entered all the country parliaments, also the Bundestag. And of course, migration is a very sensitive topic. In the last years, we had some uh, Islamic attacks in Germany. Some were not regarded as Islamic attacks. All the topic of migration is very sensitive in Germany. So the political decision makers are trying not to make any connection between migration and crimes. And this is actually gives a floor for the AfD. And you mentioned, Florian, that they got into uh, various state parliaments and the, the German parliament, the Bundestag. Do you think they could ever make it into a government out of the opposition? I don't think so. Uh, not on the country level because of the international reputation of Germany and because of the different shape of the AfD. Because the AfD is not the party 10 years ago. 10 years ago, basically, the AfD was just a Eurosceptical party, but now the AfD is a right-wing radical party and it would harm the reputation. So to say it in a provocative way, it's more likely that the CDU will form a government with a post-communist than with the AfD. So you think that they will be here for a while? They're going to be on the political scene in Germany for the foreseeable future? Yeah, they're here to stay because there's a gap in the party system. Um, there was one leader, the prime minister in our biggest country in Northern Westphalia, Hendrik Wüst. He basically said a couple of months ago, the CDU is not a conservative party anymore. So we see basically there is a, some kind of demand. Also a nostalgia um, in Eastern Germany, but generally you have back the good old times. And there's also the question about the future of our economy. Also to mention the geopolitical dimension which is very important after the war Russia caused against Ukraine. By the way, also the AfD has uh, some ties to Russia. But there are many obstacles and uncertainties, and that's why the AfD will stay. They will be excluded, but there will be an important factor in German politics. We are going to talk about sports now, specifically American football. <laughs> yes, Aaron, and the NFL. That's the National Football League. So the Super Bowl is happening this weekend in the States. That is a huge event that takes place every year. Lots of people know about it because of the halftime glitzy performances with the likes of J-Lo and Kendrick Lamar. And this year, I believe, Rihanna. But apparently there is also some sports that goes on during that time. And interestingly, American football has also been growing in popularity in Germany for several years. The NFL is hosting games in Munich and Frankfurt, and there are more planned. 
Adrian, any ideas where people can watch the Super Bowl event in Germany? Uh, you mean where can we watch the halftime show <laughs> <laughs> with, with a football game warming up the performer? Um, <laughs> the best one is still 2012, the first one I watched here in Germany. That was Madonna's year. But you do have to be a night owl. Uh, the game starts at 12.30 a.m. in Germany. So other than streaming it at home on ProSieben, for example, which is a network that is carrying it, there's a few places around Germany hosting. So uh, in Berlin, uh, Kesselhaus at the Kulturbrauerei, for example, uh, in Frankfurt, uh, Sinistar Metropolis, and the Work 7 Theater, Work 7 Theater in, in Munich, or the Boothaus Club in Cologne. Uh, those are just a few examples. You can check out a fuller rundown on the show notes for places you can watch. Great. Imogen, will you be watching it? Uh, it's unlikely. Okay. Um, but I don't know. Aaron's, Aaron sold it to me with this talk of the halftime show and so perhaps mm -hmm. this could be the year that I tune in and become a major American football or as they call it football. As we call it football yeah. in North America. Yeah, just football. <laughs> I spoke with Sebastian Urich. He's a professor of sports management at the German Sports University in Cologne and I asked for his impression of how popular American football is in Germany. Well, I think it's fair to say it's becoming more popular even though we don't know exactly how much the figures or the interest is, is rising. If we have a look at the, at the numbers, I don't know, the, the last five years, and for example, the TV audience of the Super Bowl in Germany, there's more a sidewards trend of these uh, figures. It's not really rising, but I would assume that there's more people getting interested, but we cannot really say how much this rises. Mm-hmm. And and we are seeing NFL games being hosted in Germany now in Frankfurt and Munich. And the first one was held in Munich last year, which was sold out. What's the significance of that for Germany and Europe? Well, I mean, um, playing games uh, in Germany provides German consumers, German, German supporters and fans yeah, an additional offering beside all the media offerings. Because um, up until last year, they were yeah, only able to yeah, watch NFL games on TV or follow them on, on social media. If they wanted to see a game, they had to, to travel to the US. So obviously, there's a significant uh, addition to, to what they can consume. But we shouldn't forget, I mean, it's only two games per year. Yeah, so I wouldn't overestimate the, the significance. I don't expect this to be, you know, the main driver of a huge number of, of additional um, supporters in the future. But the NFL seems to have targeted Germany in a way that with the games and they really are kind of trying to grow their popularity. Yeah. Do you think that that strategy is working well? Do you think it will get more popular? Um, yeah, and I would assume it gets more popular. It's, it's difficult to say if this is really successful and also, I mean, depends on how you define success, what they expect. I would never think that they're able to replace soccer as the most popular sport. I would think they can become one of the, you know, sports that follow after soccer. And um, I mean, how much this is going to grow, it's, it's really difficult to tell. And I mean, Germany, obviously, there's, there's a significant fan base of American football. The figures I know, yeah, estimate this around two to three million people. It's yeah the largest market in Europe. So it's kind of logical to pick Germany as the main foreign market in Europe. They might also be interested uh, interested people in other countries, but uh, I would I would think in, in Europe, Germany is, is quite a good target market. Mm -hmm. And do you think people from other countries near Germany would travel then to Germany? Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen that um, with the games in the UK. I mean, the NFL played some games in in London. 
And there were also yeah, spectators from other European countries because obviously it's it's much closer than the, the games um, in the US. And so there's probably people from Italy, from France, from wherever they might come from. Uh, mm-hmm. So you don't think it's going to replace football, like <laughs> soccer, but it's probably going to get more popular in the coming years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not going to replace football in the near future. I mean, so many other sports are trying to do that um, or have been trying to do this for years and they're not even close. So in Germany, it's very, very, very strong emphasis on this one sport, football or soccer. And then there's a huge gap. And then there's other sports like basketball, hockey and handball and volleyball. And so I can see the NFL becoming, you know, part of that second tier in sports. But I mean, soccer is so traditional and has such a huge fan base. And yeah, it might be something happening in 15, 20 years, but not in the near future. Very unlikely. <laughs> Sebastian, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. With Valentine's Day coming up on February the 14th, we thought it would be nice to share a German word or phrase that is useful for the day, whatever your relationship status. Imogen, what have you chosen? So I have gone for es kribbelt or kribbeln im Bauch. Um, So that basically means it's an adorable word. It means kind of tingles or tickles. It describes that kind of excited feeling you have in your stomach when you first meet someone and you really, really like them. So the equivalent in English, I guess, would be butterflies yeah. in, mm-hmm. in your stomach. But I just think it's it's a lovely image and it, and it really does perfectly, almost onomatopoeically describe that feeling of tickling and tingling and joy and excitement. Yes. Very nice. Aaron, do you have one to share with us? Yeah. Um, so, die große Liebe. Oh, you're serious. Uh, I know. It's we're getting deep here. <laughs> we're getting we're getting right into the big ones, straight to the point. So Digosa Liva quite literally translates as uh the big love. But the English equivalent would basically be the one or like your soulmate, sort of the person for you, your mm-hmm. your partner that way. Yeah. Really nice one. And guys, I have chosen Ich hab dich lieb Aww. as a phrase, which is yeah, it's such a lovely one. And I think it's nice because you can use it with family or close friends. So it doesn't just have to be your significant other. It doesn't just have to be your grosser Liebe. <laughs> exactly. But it also kind of is, is, it's kind of like maybe on the step to saying ich liebe dich, yeah? You might, say, you might say that first before you get to the big kind of announcement. And it doesn't really have a direct translation in English. I, it kind of means like, I have a lot of love for you. Or I have love for you, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah my grandma and I, when I was young, we used to use ich hab dich lieb. That's or sweet. Ich hab dich lieb, yeah. Because, as you said, you use it for, you can use it for family or friends or anything else, whereas like ich liebe dich is, is definitely something that you you reserve for for your partner, your grosse Liebe, if you will. Exactly. And it might take a while to get that from a German if you're in a relationship. The, the <laughs> yeah, you know, just have some patience to talk. Dich, I mean, you, you might get Ich hab dich for a little while. Especially when you have Ich hab dich as a gateway <laughs> to Ich liebe dich. I think it's great, though. I think the stepping stone is good for that, you know, the transitional period. I, yes. I think that's wonderful. It's a great idea. That's so German. You know, there's a transitional period. <laughs> I've been here too long. To ich- Ich liebe dich, yeah. Yeah, don't go all in too quickly. <laughs> 
Great. That's us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. Thank you to this week's panellists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, and to our guests and our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And as I said earlier, please feel free to leave a review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back again next Friday. Until then, take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.